Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. What is up, my fellow addicts? Ralph Sutton, the SDR Show. Double penetration once again. I don't know how much long I'm going to do it. Maybe forever. Maybe just a couple more weeks. I don't know. But this dude, such a cool, talented guy. to Jimmy Necco. The band is ours. He did a brief appearance a few weeks ago with Lucas Rossi, but now we felt the guy deserved his whole individual episode. He performs live once again. Super talented, super cool dude. Gino Bisconti is my co-host once again. And I think it was a really fun episode. A good example of where a guy starts with his guard up a little bit and then starts to loosen up by the end of the show. Really nice guy. We do this show live every Wednesday, every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, gasdigitalnetwork.com slash live. And you could have heard this show three, four days ago. I think it's four days ago. If you go to gasdigitalnetwork.com, use the code SDR, you get 20% off the entire network. You get a commercial free, unedited. Shannon tells me three days earlier for each show. That's what I saw. It's like three and a half. Yeah. yeah three day, whatever. Three and a half, four days. doesn't matter. Um, but it's a great episode. Use the code SDR. Go to podcastmerch.com. Get an SDR t-shirt. There's a new one out there. It's like a cool rock and roll stencil shirt. And here it is right now, the Jimmy Necco episode of the SDR. This is the intro to the shit show. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. This is the hit show. Show me a tit show. Please, someone fuck the host. It's weed, I feed. It's hookers and blow. It's art, it's art. You need to know. It is the SDR Show, Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll Show. As always, I am Ralph Sutton with me, who looks like he's sleeping. Are you sleeping, Gino? No, no, I was lighting a cigar. I'm, I'm wide awake. I'm amped for this. I'm amped. Okay, sorry. Look at you. He's either dead or sleeping. Or <laughs> that's, my nor- that's my natural pallor. It's yeah. my normal complexion. And uh, Shannon with us is always uh, hot as shit in her room with uh, no air conditioning. And and now, no crickets. <laughs> no crickets, thank God. So here's the story. If you've been listening and watching SDR for a while, a couple weeks ago, we had a show and Gino, oh, Gino was with us. That's right. Jimmy was the surprise guest. I wasn't expecting it. He just showed up to sing a song and it made me very happy, though I did get somewhat angry as well. Shannon was the one that coordinated it all so now we bring jimmy back to do an actual episode so thank you jimmy for coming on well thanks for having me wow okay you seem very very uh tense and very very mystical so we'll we'll get into a few things all right so first um i'm going to tell you all this story that just happened to me tonight and then we'll get into all things jimmy and hours and stuff i go on a lot of dates we know this if you've been listening to the show for a while I go on every, I'm on every single dating app there is, be it Tinder, be it Bumble, be it Hinge. I don't care. I'm 50 and single. You got to do what you got to do. I'm not Can I ask a, you a question. Yeah. Is this a dick tale? <laughs> yes, it is. Dick tales, woo. Jay and Ralph are telling weekly dick tales, woo. Tales of all the crazy, silly dick tales, woo. So it's not really much of one, but it is one. So we'll say, so I'm on every dating app. I don't care. I met this girl. I'm 50. I don't mind telling you this. She's 24. That's less than half my age. Who cares? Shannon, that's math. There'll be some S-P-E-L-L-I-N-G later, W-H-O-R-E. All right, now let's go. And here's number one, surprising, even hotter than her Tinder profile. Gorgeous girl. Wow. We sit sit down and have a little tea and coffee at a little coffee shop by my neighborhood. I would say conversation, very good. Everything nice. Vegan. Don't really care that she's vegan. I'm not, but Shannon is. And I was able to say, hey, I just made some vegan cheese. You can maybe come back to my house and try it. (laughs) Whatever. Sounds sounds very sexually aggressive. I made some vegan cheese. I'm just saying. But I I think Gino... It's very aggressive. I'm going to bring Gino into liking this story now, (laughs) I feel. I had I'm my, already a big fan, but please go on, go on. People sits next to us and they have masks on. And I had my mask in my pocket, but we were sitting at the table. And I said, oh, you know, something like you got to get used to the nonsense of masks. Just meaning like, you know, we're all going through this, the nonsense yeah. of COVID and whatever. She goes on a five minute loud rant oh my God. on how Bill Gates created this 10 years ago. He owns the Wuhan lab. How come people, how come sheep don't realize that this is this? And, and I said, now I'm trying to be. Not and, you're, and your dick is going further and further into your torso. Not as far as it should have, but yeah. 
it's like right when it got to my trachea, I just walked out. I just threw 30 bucks down on the vegan. I didn't She didn't even get to taste your vegan cheese, I'm guessing. But it just, it fucking upset me so much because everything else was going well. And I can't keep my mouth shut. I'm trying to have like a normal conversation about it. But I would say that it did not end well. And it's sure. because, I mean, to think that Fauci and uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill Gates collaborated together a decade ago to release this virus now you can believe a lot of things that's a hard one to believe that's just oh. my opinion i'm past that i'm past that i, I if i can weigh in here yeah. they're using everything just to shut down the country like you're telling me and i, I know this isn't what this podcast is about but they they, they shut down the big 10 and the pac-12 collegiate football leagues for kids that have the lowest rate, you know how many athletes have died from this? Zero. Zero. And now you're going to ruin entire economies. If they, they're going to shut down all of college football. And places like Alabama, they make $2 billion every football season. The, the, I, we're, I we're going tits up. We're going tits up. I don't know enough about it, but I just wanted to get out the dating story. We don't need to get political now, Gino. You're right. I apologize. Mouth. Meanwhile, <laughs> maybe... But I'm sorry. I just wanted to know what your response was to her after her rant finished. I Great tried question. to have a, like, I just said this. This is, by the way, Jimmy, maybe Jimmy believes that uh, Bill Gates created this. I don't know. Jimmy seems like a sensible human being. I could be wrong. Jimmy, any thoughts? Oh, you know, I, I have so many thoughts and I've, I've kept my mouth shut um, a lot. But that's, uh, you know, people are free to believe what they want, I guess. It's, wow. It's, it's a very... Very politically correct. Uh, what do you believe, Jimmy? Jimmy, what do you believe? Um, uh, well, I, I drove along the West Side Highway and saw um, you know, bodies in, in coolers. Um, so a lot of people dying. Right. By the I, way, that was what I said, Jimmy. I said to her, well, look, it has been proven that more people have died than any year prior. The last five years, give or take 2%, have been the same. This year, globally up about 15 to 25% higher, depending on which country, of deaths. And she says, well, they're all miscategorized deaths. People died of this. People died. I said, let's assume they're all categorized wrong. I want, can I have her number? <laughs> Please. <laughs> She's so <Can> <laughs> He's so fucking Oh, I know John with him. I'd be like, you know, I was talking to my friend Ralph. You're all asshole. <laughs> anyway, so that then we I had that conversation. And then I just said, look, it was really nice meeting you. I always just like to keep the first date short. And I said, but we'll talk again soon. And that was the end of it. <laughs> you game show announced her out of the date. Well, that's looks like we're out of time here. Uh, I always like to end the dates with a dragged her out. It was great. I like to end the dates with a short little uh, soliloquy. That's the show. That's our time. The music's playing, honey. Yeah, we, we didn't have time for Matt Damon, but thank you so much for playing. Okay, so um, Jimmy, let's uh, recap this for those that did not uh, listen to that episode. Um, so I looked it up, and I was shocked to find out that our interactions of us trying to get you on was before, not this new album that's about to come out, Spectacular Sight, but before your last album. In 2017, I started reaching out to try and get you on the show. And uh, through miscommunication, not of your fault at all, I think managers generally, I don't know, was he your manager or the guy? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, Jack. Yeah, Jack, I think that um, their job is to you know, keep out the lunatics or keep out, you know, over the years, I did radio for a long time. I got angry with some bands that never even knew I tried to get them on my show. And it's just that the, the gatekeepers sometimes will just keep out other people, you know, that, that is what it is, what it is. But thankfully we were able to bring you on last time and now bringing you back to actually talk about your career and your music. So that was before new age heroin, which correct me if I'm wrong here, this is a trilogy that started with Ballet of the Boxer, and it's about to come to light with Spectacular Sight as the last album, all interconnected. Is that right? That is right, yes. Can you give us a little bit about this? Like, what, why, what connects the three records? Were they all written in one session, et cetera? Okay. Um, well, first, I want to... I got to protect Jack here because uh, <laughs> he's... Um, Jack's cool. Um, there are a lot of awful 
managers and gatekeepers out there. But Jack is he's a longtime friend, and we go way back. So I think um, just to explain what happened, why um, why I didn't get with you before the last record. The last record, uh, in Jack's defense, I put out on um, a mo- like a moment's notice. I, I called him and I said, Jack, I'm putting a record out tonight. Wow. <laughs> So, Did you actually say ta-da at some point in the conversation, <laughs> Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, you know, it's been pretty much established that I'm unmanageable. Mm-hmm. So um, Jack does his, he does his best through the years. But um, so the, the idea with that record is there wasn't any promotion for it or anything like that because I, I came in the studio about um, – about nine years ago and I had um, just over 200 songs that I'd written and I was trying to figure out what to do and in my opinion um, I thought my first three records they had their moments but the the process for me with the major labels and and that whole thing you know we weren't really finding our our way with it and um, so for the for the first few I was kind of looked at as um kind of difficult in their eyes and um, also unmanageable. Mm-hmm. And, and Seems to be a recurring theme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then I, I made the third record with Rick Rubin and that was really great. Um, love him, really. He's an old friend and I'll, I'll make records with him anytime um, still. And um, yeah, I'll love that guy until the day I die. But, you know, I just couldn't, really be on major labels anymore for me it wasn't working Mm -hmm. so i had asked him to let me go i was on sony at the time columbia sony american is american columbia sony and um so he let me go and i just decided that i wanted to try to um basically do it on my own in a sense it's what i wanted to do early on when i signed with dreamworks i was still kind of like a a young punk rock mentality of, of a of a person, you know, I, I wanted to make my records myself. I wanted to produce them. Um, I, I kind of had the dream of having the clubhouse where we made our records, we pressed our records, we sold our merch out of, I wasn't really all that fond of going the route of a, you know, of a, of a big major label, but that was why I went with DreamWorks because they were supposed to be a little bit more about um, artist development and, um, in a sense, they were going to be more of like an independent record company with major label um, finances, you know? When you ask a, a label, like the major label, I want to be let go, how does that, do you have to try and co- coerce them? Does it, do you have to give up something? Like what actually is that conversation like? Or is it like when a woman tries to leave my apartment, I just won't let them go? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> you probably shouldn't have volunteered the last part of that. <laughs> Sorry, we can sorry. take that out. Okay, I'm sorry. Go on, Jimmy. Exactly. I interrupted you. Exactly. Sorry, I apologize. Probably I, a bit much. No, you you interrupt me as much as you like because <laughs> I'll I'll tell these stories and they get to be a little serious. They're insane, and I'll and I'll try to not really get into all of it. But um, it could be really difficult. You know, for some people, there's stories of them being held up for a decade and trying. Yeah, like to- Prince changing the name of his of himself so he could get out of a contract. Yeah. Um, but in this particular case, I just texted Rick and uh, I said, I love you very much. I had an amazing time making the record with you and I'll, I'll make records with you anytime. So, um, but I can't be on Sony anymore to me. I think my words were something like it's um, more than apparent to me now that Sony is a joke. Wow. I think mm-hmm. my words and... Um, and he said, check this out. This is why Rick is just so great. Um, I, and I actually found the text the other day. I went into an old phone from 2008. And uh, he said, I hear you. I love you. I'll make it happen. Um, and he basically got back to me. You know, it could have been 20 minutes later. And he said, you're free to go, um, but I want to help you. And he had a few ideas on what I could do on my own. And some people you have you have Rick Rubin to thank for getting out of the contract, basically. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And he he actually technically I was on his label, um, his American label, but it was going through 
Columbia at that time because he was running Sony. So, um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I don't mean any harm when I, when I say that about Sony because it was just at that time, they've done really amazing things through the years with a, a lot of different artists and sold tons of records, made great records and really smart people over there that I also loved very much through my, through my years. Michelle Anthony was over there and I loved her very much. Um, she was great to me. And um, I had a family also at Sony ATV Publishing, um, and they were also really great to me. So it wasn't so much that I wasn't getting along with the people or anything like that. Some of the more of the, like the horror stories that people have, this wasn't really um, like that because Rick was in charge. So it wasn't like anybody was torturing me or mm-hmm. nothing like that. They just weren't doing anything. So we made a $900,000 record and you know, anybody that, that I talked to over there, they were all kind and, and they explained to me how it worked. And they just said, look, we just, we have a, a certain protocol as to what we have to do and what we have to push when we go to radio. Um, so, you know, I have to go and that, at that time, the story was, uh, they had a, a band called the Ting Tings. And I love the Ting Tings. That's not my name. Isn't that then? Yeah. Yeah. So, that was a priority for them, I guess, is the bottom line is that, that that was a priority and we weren't. So when you're going to radio and all that stuff with, you know, he, the guy, radio guy would go in with five records, you know, and this is what they told me. He said, I go in with these five records and I said, look, I have, I have a new hours record. I have a Coheed and Cambria record, um, you know, whoever else. Mm-hmm. And, and you can play these if you want, but I need you to play this Ting Ting's record. Right. I mean, I mean, as someone that was in radio for uh, a long time, that would happen. These record promoters would really shove one or two songs down your throat. And you knew that if you wanted to get an interview with a band that you wanted down the road, or if you wanted to make sure you got free tickets to the concerts to give away or whatever, you played the fucking songs they wanted you to play. That's just what you did. And it's not legal to do it in some sort of cash thing, but there's perks that you can get around with with doing it that way. And that's just what was done. Yeah, man. I know, I know it quite well. So the, um, these these three records that you have, these are all done independently. Then these, this this yeah. tree this trilogy, so to speak, was done from that initial session of I wrote a shitload of songs and I'm going to release them as a trilogy. Yeah. Um, wow. And so the the idea, it's you know I hoped, you know, to not make it too dramatic or make it too self-important, like any sort of concept or anything. It's not really like that. It was just, it was just more about, I wanted to, I wanted to explore um, the idea of making records about my experience um, before I got my record deal through my record deal. And then after I wanted to kind of recap it all in, this um, this idea of these three records. So, to do that um, for Ballet the Boxer, basically the idea with that one was it was to go back to this this um, idea of being young and adolescence and being angry, kind of punching your way through life. You know, growing up and and um, getting pushed around as we did. You know, it, bullying wasn't just about you know telling somebody that they you know their hair was stupid or something on the internet that you went to school you know. and literally beat your ass. Stop bullying me. Go on. I'm sorry, Jimmy. As we know. He's like that. Um, so it's just a, I wanted to go back and, and write about that time before I signed. So the concept would be more of like a, a sonic approach. And um, so the, basically the first record that I made for DreamWorks, I had already, you know, I gone through as we do each phase in life growing up you know you use certain um, movies and music that you feel really you identify with and that defines you and you go through your your growth and you discover you know 16 years old you discover the doors and the end and all of a sudden you feel you're enlightened and you know you go through those things by the time I signed my deal I felt like okay this is the music that I I imagine making as a first record in, in hopes that um, it'll feel like a first record, but it'll still f- feel like hopefully these songs will, will stand the test of time. Um, but it was definitely a little um, more mature and produced than I was 
earlier in, in the band. You know, the band mm -hmm. was a little more raw, but the record that I made was, was more produced. So I never made that first record to um, kind of show that period from where I was like 15 to like 20 or so. Where well, did you try and get into a mindset of what my 15-year-old self would write? Yeah, completely. Did you start masturbating to like pictures of women and stuff to put yourself in that headspace? Gross. Like that. <laughs> women. My question is this, if I can circle back, or maybe I totally missed the point. When you first started out, you said you had like 200, al 200 albums, or you mean 200 songs. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, like, did, did you take those with you when you left and then you, you, you carved into them more, for lack of a better word, and, and fleshed some of them out and they became like the album? Or am I missing the point on that? Um, well, I, I was can, really hoping Gino said that Gino, Jamie said, well, you totally missed the point. On that. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't, it'd be the first time ever I missed the I, point. You know, I mean, this is kind of in a sense, it's like, if somebody cares about the journey, then what I'm saying is exciting, but if not, it's fucking boring and we should just like talk about titties or something. <laughs> we very much care. <laughs> um, can we do both? Sure. <laughs> um, so basically just the idea was that. I write all different kinds of songs and um, from literally things that sound like super raw punk rock to super produced, um, really pretty songs kind of things, you know, so all over the whole spectrum, that's kind of the, the, the kiss and the curse of my career. I don't fit into any one right. space. Like I'm I'll, I'll touch upon it, you know, and I, I sing kind of hard sometimes. So people think it's rock, but then the rock guys, Historically, for me, even if I was on stage singing with Slash and Duff or Stone Temple Pilots or whoever it was through the years, the different people that I've, I've jammed with and talked about playing with, to their audience, it was always like, oh, fuck this pussy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I've never really... You know? I've never really played it. <laughs> He's doing it again. But no, I get, look, what you, when you say that, it makes sense. I look at bands that hours toured with, when you look at it, I saw the cult... Aha, Marilyn Manson, Wallflowers, it's all over the place. You're all over the place. And that's what I, you know, in a lot of ways, which we've had this discussion a lot on the show, true musicians shouldn't be carved into one specific niche. Like, oh, I'm only going to be this. You're allowed to be influenced by things that happen to you. For some reason, though, music fans don't get that. Like a lot of times they don't want a band. They want a band to sound like a certain thing. I know you because of this song, so all your songs should be that way. But then when you do do that, then they get mad that all your songs sound the same, like Nickelback. So you can't win yeah. either way. Yeah, you just have to stay true to what you want to do and weather, weather the storm through all that and um, ultimately just follow what makes you happy. And, you know, it doesn't always um, pay off right away, but I believe in the big picture. For me, um, that's that's what I want to do and that's what I'm going to do. So um, if I could simplify it and stay more rock or stay more in the um, ethereal ambient kind of thing or more in the singer songwriter thing, but I like, I like everything. And I, and I think for me, I, I like to make an album that, um, that has an arc to it and a whole story. So it, I couldn't make just 12, 12 songs that all sounded like just like a rock song it would mm -hmm. be silly to me it would just be like i'm wearing the uniform to try to impress people or to like be a certain way and that's not that's, for me that's just not realistic it's not how it is like I'm, I'm sad many days i'm super happy other days i'm i'm you know wound up and you know fucking charged up and wanting to stick my dick you know in fucking everything that walks shannon <laughs> <laughs> I, that's the rule of three you're killing it sorry to interrupt you jimmy i like that i like that i like to put that into into it and be alive and i felt like if if i just stayed in one place that that's not really i think that that that's the prison like rock and roll you know years ago was a, to me it was like it, it was this rebellious thing that went against the grain and by the time i signed to dreamworks they wanted me to be a rock and roll guy. And, and that to me was just like, well, that's the fucking institution. That's the prison. Right. They're trying to get me to, to wear the... You uniform. became a rock... They looked at you as rock star, not musician. And that's what happened when in the late 80s to, went to the early 2000s when before streaming, really, you know, um, 
it was more about uh, how can we market this as opposed to let's let an artist develop. And that's when everything changed. All right, before we go one step further, I want to tell you about one of our longtime sponsors now. Not only do they sponsor this show, the SGR show, they're also sponsoring Skankfest. And I think the entire Gas Digital Network, we are talking about Yo Kratom. Yo Kratom. They're the home of the $60 kilo, the world's best value in Kratom. Shipped right to your door. Don't go to some stupid bodega or garage or gas station garage. I don't know. But don't go to some place where you don't know the quality. This is high quality Kratom shipped directly to you. Sometimes you'll pay as much as $180 for a kilo. But here it is at yokratum.com. It is just $60. I personally, I'm a puss. I don't do any drugs. Shannon, what's your favorite strain of Kratom? Um, they actually have their own strain called Trainwreck, which is like a blend of a bunch of other strains, which I haven't seen available anywhere else. Uh, so I really like that one. And anytime I've ordered from them, even in like the height of the quarantine, um, it's gotten to my house within like two days, maybe. So shipping wow. is fast. It's it's always great quality. They're great. Maybe. You know what's funny? I had one bad experience with Kratom a long time ago. Maybe I should try, you know, dabble into the Yo Kratom world. Maybe I'll... Uh, Next time I see you, you should bring in some, some of your uh, train wreck for me. Will do. I'll try it. We'll see what happens. Go to yourkratom.com. It's home of the $60 Kratom, $60 kilo of Kratom. Uh, buy directly and get wholesale prices. All right, let's get back into it. You touched on this a little bit where you said on stage with Slash and Duff. I read somewhere that you were at one point one of the people in consideration for Velvet Revolver after Scott passed away. Is there, was there truth to that? Yeah, I think um, it came around before before they settled on Scott. Uh-huh. It came through for me before that, and then um, when when he left, I got a call from their manager asking if I would be into jumping on and, and doing a bunch of tour dates with them. Wow. And um, and I said, look, I love those guys, um, but I don't think. That's, I don't think that would be good for any of us to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Especially because apparently from your own uh, admission, you're a lot to handle. Well, uh, that's, um, you know, I'm being, um, I'm being kind about that and kind of beating up on myself about it. But the truth is I'm, I'm not. Imagine um, no worse than Scott was. I have to imagine Scott was more difficult. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not difficult at all. I'm pretty... Um, reasonable and and rational i just my thing is that i just want it to be great so if that's a lot to deal with um that's where by the way sorry to interrupt you jimmy that's where you and gino differ a lot because gino doesn't care if his comedy's great he just wants it out there i think we're very similar jimmy and i'll take that joke and i'll run this, this is what i picked up when i was reading your uh, bio on wiki um like you left the business you know when you walked away like right at a time when people were still trying to hold on to that. And I think, I think I hear in your voice and what your actions are. You're like, you said it, you felt trapped there. And it's the thing I've said before on this. If we don't go within, we go without. And you just wanted to make your music your way and you just felt like you couldn't do it. And it, it was affecting the work because it wasn't fun for you to do it like that. Is that right? The whole thing. I just, it's, you know, I, I didn't sign to a record deal to be, for them to turn me into a superstar. I, I signed to to get people, more people to be able to hear my music the way that right. I want to do it. So if if I had to change that or or become somebody else, it was it was never worth it to me. So uh, that's how I played that game. As long as I could do what I want to do, then I'll I'll stay on board. And as long as it doesn't feel like we're exploiting some, you know, I, to me I think it's a big facade. I really do. The whole, even like I love rock and roll music. I love soul music I, I love hip-hop i love dance music i love all kinds of music but i just think that with rock music it just became empty to me and if that's the case then you know i didn't want to play an electric guitar for five years i just had my acoustic guitar and just that was how i felt about it so you know yeah when it when it becomes like like that where you just feel like a, a fucking joke you know what the word I use is? And, 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 and Ralph is right. Like, I'm like, I don't need them to like my jokes. And I crack myself up on stage. But you know what the, the terrible word I use is? It becomes work. And we didn't want to work for a living. 
You know what I mean? It's like you're you're doing something for someone else and you're trying to meet, oh, I need to say this so they'll give me, put me on Fallon or I need to write this in my lyrics so they'll put me on tour. And that's work. That's doing something to get from point A to point B when we're just creating and seeing where it brings us. So that's why I call it work. And now I'm going to go back to telling I'm, dick jokes. I'm going to quote Jimmy here because I read this and I thought it was right up Gino's alley. He said, I'm disappointed about how sensitive everything's gotten and how careful we have to be or else we might get someone seriously might get offended. And that's the world we live in now. And I wonder, by the way, when I read that, are there times, Jimmy, where you're writing a song and maybe it doesn't go the way, right? It doesn't come out the way you wanted it to in that you change lyrics in the fear of maybe upsetting people or maybe saying something these days, especially that might offend people because you are one of these like artist guys that's really writing from the heart and maybe something you're thinking isn't politically correct or isn't going to be mainstreamly accepted. Um, I have not to date um, changed anything like that for any of those reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, I made a conscious choice, you know, talking about these three records, I made a conscious choice to make sure that this record was going to be in, in a story of, of three records that this is supposed to be um, a hopeful record and um, transcendence of all of any and all the bullshit, not, not like dwelling in it or complaining about it. So I did make a choice this time to not, um, to not go to any of the obvious places of just beating up on politicians on either side or anything like that, complaining about what is obvious. Like everybody has eyes. We can see what's obvious. Like, some people say dumb shit. Some people say Ralph. More finally, <laughs> finally, I got to do one. I finally got to do one. Sorry, Jimmy, go on. <laughs> Hold on, Jim, let me explain the joke. I called you stupid, Ralph. All right, back yeah. to you, Jimmy. Hey, I, I was too stupid to get that. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jimmy's actually having a good time. This is great. All right, back to you, Jimmy. I apologize. <laughs> um, I just made a choice this time to not. I, I wrote. I wrote some pretty bitey songs mm -hmm. um, throughout. And the, uh, the concept on these records was that the early, the first record was supposed to be the bitey like that. Like when you're young and you're just full of piss and vinegar and, mm. and you know, you just like, because that's the way that I was. I was out of sharp tongue and, um, you know, I, I didn't hold back. And, mm -hmm. but, you know, you, you, you grow a bit and you learn that, it's, you know, some people think that speaking their mind is always the right thing to do. And, and I guess it is if you're asked what you think, but I just got so tired of, um, it's like, well, nobody fucking asked me what I, I thought or think. So I'm not going to shoot my big mouth off. And mm -hmm. I'm be conscious of that as I was writing the songs in this record to not have a perspective of sounding just like an asshole shooting their mouth off to have their opinion heard and saying like, well, I feel it. So it's real. Like, who cares? Who fucking cares what I think? So I tried to keep that in mind this time and not, um, not say anything that, um, that I didn't want to continue living with the consequences of. And that's not because of being afraid to hurt anybody because of any political reasons. Or just, it's just because of what I believed was the right thing to do now. And I've said some pretty um, heavy things through the years on on some of the records that um, my, my approach in the past, I just want to say in the first, first off, I've always from the beginning written about um, the things that I saw that upset me um, as far as, you know, um, racial um, tensions and injustice. And I, I get to see a lot through the years and then a lot of, um, touring through the country in times when people here in, in New York and New Jersey felt like we were more involved. And then you, you go around and you see some shit and um, it's still for many, many years upset me just, um, just the way things were. I'm, I'm not going to get into specifically what it is. Everybody knows what, what bothers them, what they care about, what they don't care about. And everybody has their views. Um, and I'm not really here to, to speak about mine anymore like that i'm just here to make um music that 
lifts people's spirits. And well, let me ask you about that on Spectacular Sight. Um, this album I, was is supposed to come out this year. Is that still the plan, or did you are you delaying it because of what's going on? Well, the what I really want to do, and what we might do, is um, I would like to, in about two or three weeks, I would like to release it kind of just oh your manager again surprise new albums coming out <laughs> yeah this time he's gonna say yahtzee instead of ta-da <laughs> i'd like to um on the kind of on the download release it to to fans anybody that's looking for it release a code to them to where they can buy it wow. um now and um till the end of the year and give us the time to set it up properly for a proper release in right. january but you, like, did, you did say that the album, quote, is built for arenas and stadiums, which is not possible right now. So that would make sense. But the new the single that you just released recently, Kids, you're donating the profits of that to a charity, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not going to be on the record. That was just a one-off song. Okay. Um, but again, that song was written um, probably around four years ago. It was written and recorded, and I just decided to release it with everything that was going on because uh, it just felt like the right time to release it. It wasn't written to exploit anything that's happening or, or anything like that. It was just, it's, those were my thoughts. And like I said, um, I think in the song that it touches upon a bunch of things happening, but I thought when I first saw the title, I thought it was somehow related to Epstein, but I don't think that was the case. No, <laughs> no. Um, I am an idiot, Gino. I loved it. <laughs> this is so much fun for me. I, I want to ask you. I want. I know you're going to do this. Like serious mode. So it's, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm. In, we're both idiots. So I apologize. No, keep doing I'm, it. It's good. It pulls uh, him out. No, I'm watching. This is. He's like, and he's like, okay, okay. Was bring me back, bring me back. But I, yeah, I'm going to put my dick in something. What? No, let's talk about health and and wellness. Um, so one thing I want to. So the couple of things that I want to get into. One, I was completely unaware of. And you may have talked about this a million times, but because I had no idea, I feel that a lot of people don't know. Fair enough to understand that so far? So in looking up you, if you type in your name, the first thing that comes up is a song by Lana Del Rey. Yeah. And apparently you were dating her at some point and she wrote a song about you. Is that right? Um, I was not dating her. But that's how, you know, that's how quick stuff like that happens and gets out and people um believe that's it. a shame because if you were she would have said this is the quiet one <laughs> lana del rey because she's quiet i, I bombed it. go I, on back I, to you jimmy i got it but i didn't like it, it sucks it but sucks. So you never were dating her but the whole song is about how good looking you are and how great you are and my first thought is man this guy must fuck really well <laughs> that was my thoughts no girl's ever written anything about me no one's ever had that thought about you either, Ralph. No one. Especially a, a woman at a vegan restaurant waiting on homemade cheese. Well, I couldn't think of the joke, but when you, when you can't get near anybody, that was the only thing they ever read about me. What is that called? A protection, an order protection. Restraining order? Restraining order. There you go. Boom. Bam. <laughs> Slammo. If way, I to had act it, like, way to act like you don't know what one is. Well played, Ralph. I only know about what six of them are, not one. <laughs> um, so you never dated her. She just was enamored with you from when, you were, when hours was playing with you, with her? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't fully know. Um, the song came out. I, I, I saw her plan on TV, like most people did on Saturday night live and she was getting a hard time for it. And, um, I just felt like when a lot of people were like, Oh, she's fucking terrible. They were saying to me, I said, no, no, I don't think she is. I, I think it was just, she's a little nervous, but I actually think she's, she's really fucking good. Mm -hmm. So that was my first kind of introduction to her and then somebody called me and they said yo is that song about you and i didn't didn't know what song they were talking about and then i found it and i said you know i don't know i mean i don't i don't know any other jimmy Neckos except for my my pops and um and my Boy, son it would have been so much cooler if it was about your father that would have been <laughs> fucking amazing <laughs> like oh yeah what do you mean yeah, i fucked her years ago what are you talking about <laughs> we gotta have a talk son <laughs> I, my guess would be, and I'm in no way sliding you, you're a handsome son of a bitch, Jimmy, but your name is so, it's such a name that sticks in your head. And the first line of the song is Jimmy, Jimmy, Necco, something, something Echo. 
Like, I could just, like, the first time she ever said your name, I think it just resonated literally with her. And that, it just, it's a great song. I listened to it, like, twice. Wait, <laughs> let me ask one question. Just, and then we'll move on from this, because we don't need to spend time on Lana Del Rey. But are you saying that she wrote the song about you before you even met her? Yes. Yeah, That's yeah. fucking interesting. Wow. Yeah. Maybe we should be having this chat with his father. Let's be honest, Rob. Yeah, get him in there. Yeah, let's, get him, let's get him in here. <laughs> um, he comes in with his arm around Lana Del Rey. What's up? What's up? Pops. You mind? The ladies like pops, so. <laughs> He's a handsome son of a bitch, I'm guessing. <laughs> That's really wild. I'm surprised by that. Okay, so let's do this, though. I know you're going to do a song live, and we'll talk Woo! a little bit more. And I had requested... The one song I did hear off the new record so far is not a lot out on the new record, just maybe two songs, uh, called Wounds of Love. I don't know if you can do that one. If you can, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, I can try. Such a good song. I watched you do it at uh, Pace Studios with a full band, and I imagined it might be a little harder to pull up. But, uh, Shannon, I'm going to mute my mic. I forget how you do that. You hit the mute button. And we're going to let Jimmy echo from ours with the new album, spectacular sight coming soon muting now this is wounds of love
God damn it, that's good. Wow, that's so good. You're wow. a guy that sings his emotions. Gives me chills. Is it weird that I had an erection the whole time? Is that legal? Nah, you started with one. That's that's one of those songs. Like it's like they're just screaming songs. But I don't mean screaming like oh my god. It just it's just it's primal almost. It's incredible. I could so hear that in arena. Jesus, it's such a great song. I, I really love that song. I'm excited to hear the whole album. I want to get into a couple other things. So, being that and correct again, all this shit. Correct me if I'm wrong. I could be wrong all the time. Story of my life, but. In general, ours is kind of like Nine Inch Nails in that it's you and you bring in other people. You're writing mostly, if not everything, and you bring in different people. Is that correct? Up till recently, it's, that's kind of been the case. I've had people who've um, been with me through the whole ride. Um, you know, this, some of the same people who stayed on, but the idea was... Um, I do write everything mm -hmm. um, and often just like, you know, every, every part, the drum parts, the, the bass parts, the guitar parts, all that stuff. Um, I try my best um, for the people who um, take the, take the ride with me and go on the journey to um, leave space for their contribution. And plenty of that has happened through the years. It's not that it hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can go through and show you everywhere where um, people have elevated my my ideas and, and made them better. Um, but it it starts it starts with me, and I'm kind of just like I you know I've always been the producer of it basically. Mm. So even when we, when we would go in, that's why there was such a struggle, and there wasn't any fighting or anything like that through the records when I worked with producers Steve Lillywhite or Ethan Johns. It was never fighting. We were always partners, and we got along really well. Um, but there was, I, I think about so many aspects of it before we even get into the studio and, and how I can already hear it in my head. So I, I think the thing is that it's not that um, I tell anybody specifically what to do because I, I'm a dictator or anything. But I, I, when I write something, I, I kind of write a lot of it. Because you, can you play everything also? I can. Oh, that, that makes it uh, even more. But it's funny. We had um, G.E. Smith on recently, you know, legendary guitarist from SNL and whatnot. And he was in um, Hall & Oates for a long time. And he talked about how, you know, they would come in with the song, but they still would give him space to make those creative choices on how the solo might go or whatever. And that's, you know, where his creativity could come in within the construct of the song that's already been created. I'm assuming, if I'm not wrong something like that correct that, that's pretty much exactly what it is and wow. so to be clear um there's plenty of, of creative contribution from others who are part of it and they're um they just it's hard to explain but through all these years with everybody involved it's, it's really been about love it's my it's a lot of my buddies mm -hmm. who've joined me and they believe in in what i do and they're they've wanted to take the ride with me. So it's, it's not been about, it's not dark or anything like that in the sense of where um, I'm a raging lunatic. It's all, everything is, is very positive and, and loving as if the songs are, are moody and dark, that's just the song. You, you know, we, I can sometimes, you know, be doing the darkest song and like in between vocal takes be break dancing. And mm -hmm. um, it's not Sounds like me. Yeah, it's uh, totally You know, it sounds a lot like my plans in the bedroom. Like I have a very specific path with the woman. I'll give you some room to be creative, but don't deviate too far. Right. Projections or because you may start break. You may start break dancing. I believe <laughs> is what dancing. you said. Yes, that's really the main problem. Which is a common misconception because when he has sex, it's kind of like having a seizure. But they, yeah, it's yeah. like break dancing. I was like, about to make love and stand up doing windmills. Is basically what I'm saying. Jimmy's so like the reason why I brought that up, though, Jimmy, uh, not my breakdancing lovemaking, right, right. but the fact that you are pretty much ours, it makes me wonder. I mean, now it's 10 years ago, but being that it all was you and has been you, the, the reason why you put out a solo album as opposed to it being an hours record. I, you know, it's, there's not really a difference, um, to tell you the truth. I just um, decided at that point to call it 
something different to call it my name. Every record that we make, we sit and kind of decide, should we call this mm-hmm. under my name? Or Was it right around the time that the Lana Del Rey song came out? Because then that would make sense to me. Um, when, when I went out under my own name? Funny enough, no. Like that's that's what I should have done. I should have. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. Monopolized on that. That would have been yeah, smart. But I, I haven't, you know, I haven't capitalized on that or exploited that at all. And it's just again, I hope that's a testament to just as time goes on for people to see that I, I truly follow what's in my heart and not about um, exploiting any particular situation or even capitalizing on something as normal and innocent as I, I went and toured with her. As railing Lana Del Rey so well, your father railing her so well that you wrote a song about him and you didn't capitalize on it. Let me ask you this, because I knew a girl once who was a phenomenal dancer, like an actual ballet dancer, dancer. By phenomenal, he means exotic dance. All right, go And she knew when we were dating 20 years ago that her life was going to be this and she knew there's not a lot of money in it for her. There's only so much you can do uh, because she was so... Uh, obsessed by the craft that she felt that she wished at times she wasn't so passionate about her craft that she might have been able to be more like she was such a talented dancer if she was willing to deviate to be maybe more of a I don't know a dancer on Broadway or a dan- the Rockettes whatever the fuck it is she knew that her life was going a specific path eventually probably teaching ballet because of who she was do you often wonder if you didn't have this inner uh, artistic demons or artistic uh, integrity, however you want to put it, exactly. you know, that if he weren't a slave to his art, how about we just say that? Because you are like, we never hear these songs that listen to so many of your songs, so much raw talent. You play every instrument you've written and worked with Brian May from queen and all this other shit that people respect you so much. And you're such a talent that if you didn't have that creative um, desire, that, how did you put it again, Gino? He's a slave to his muse. That you almost, you, you might have been a superstar. You might have been, you know, headlining arenas every other day with, you know, whatever. But your artistic integrity, like you said, is more important to you. It is. I mean, well, a, a thousand percent. And people can say, yeah, it's bullshit, whatever. You would take it if... if I don't think that. I hear it in your voice. I see it, I hear it in your music. I get, I get it. It's been there in front of me the whole time. And, and it will be in front of me again. It's, when we put this record out, um, to me, this is the best record that I've made to date. And I, I, I want to clarify again, too, about the band, because the band is a true, true band right now. And that's, and that's kind of going to be, that's what I always wanted to have. But I got signed as a solo artist um, before there was a band. And it's just confusing because it's called Ours. But I was, you know, in a sense, like, it was my thing. And, but Ours had nothing to do specifically with the band. It, it, was, it was just about the relationship with the audience and it was for me it was kind of a hippie idea of just like that this is one world and i wanted to get over the the idea of these borders and of you know we grow up and we know what's in our family and then in our family beyond that we go to our school then our school then the town the town the county the state all these borders that i think keep us kind of sheltered and for me i wanted right out of the gate to get the idea that this this idea of ours is this, this planet is ours. It's one, um, it's one world and we're all connected. And, and I wanted to make that clear. And that's, that's the thing about um, the name. It's, it's not really about the band and my relationship with them. It's about our relationship with the audience and mm-hmm. how they affect us to make music in a certain way because it's, it's this two-way thing. And when I really was able to feel that, when I was younger, that, that true thing that, wow, I'm so affected by what's coming back at me. And I just talked to this guy all day long and his story affected me so much. I went and wrote a song about it. I started to get this idea that, that maybe I was, I was more of a, of a, like an empathetic person that was picking up on everything around me and writing about it. And that's more of what the idea is. So it gets confusing um, through the years, but we do, we do have a super solid band um, and we're ready to go crush it as soon as the, you know, everybody else is ready for us. The world is allowed to happen again. It's funny because when you said that, it reminded me of a story. Do you know the singer-songwriter Damien Rice? I do. I love him. He told the story once on stage that it feels like this, where he, uh, a girl got drunk at a bar and a guy thought he fell in love with her. And then it turns out that she had a boyfriend. The boyfriend was Damien Rice. 
And when they meet each other, he says, I fell in love with your girlfriend tonight. I didn't know she was your girlfriend. And he said, write down how you're feeling. And he wrote it down and he made a song out of it. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing. It's like an empathetic songwriter. And then he went into the song, which I thought was like a really wild moment when I went to see him live. And it definitely feels like you are like, it's, it's hard for me. I'm such not in touch with my emotions and such a jackass when you hear someone singing and you just feel it in your, it's coming out of your bones, all this emotion. It's so, it's amazing to me. Like you're a more evolved person than I, sir. Yeah, I don't, it's, I don't know if I am or not, but, um, you know, they kind of painted a picture early on with me out of, out of the gate as a, as a tormented, tortured artist. The only thing, again, to make it clear that I was tortured about was I was just trying to not put out shit. I think the only thing you were tortured about was your dad boning Lana Del Rey every night. <laughs> That's just his weight on his soul. <laughs> dad, calm down. I can't sleep. It's four in the morning. Be sure to pick up his new album. I get it, Dad. I get it. <laughs> All right, Shannon, let's do the first. The first time ever I All right, the name of the show is Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. We wrap up the show every week finding out your first experience with all three, and I'm excited to hear this. We'll start with rock and roll, as in what was the first concert you ever went to? And we mean a band that we're going to know, not some local band. Uh, first concert I went to was Cinderella Bon Jovi at the Brendan Byrne Arena. Love it. I was fucking there. That's weird. Is the Brandon Byrne the one in upstate New York? No, it's in uh, East Rutherford. Okay, it's so where the Nets it. used to play when they were the New Jersey Nets. The, is also, it still standing or is it renamed? It's still standing and it became the uh, Continental Airlines Arena. Wait, Cinderella and who? Yeah. Did you say it was Cinderella and who? Bon Jovi. Cinderella and Bon Jovi. I wasn't at that one. I'm confusing myself. But that is a great bill. Are you, are you and, an 80s rock fan? You know, I love things about... about all genres of music. So I, there was a lot about that that I appreciated. There's a lot. I saw uh, Cinderella, Winger, and the Bullet Boys. That was upstate New York and Albany, by the way. Nice. Where was that? Um, what venue is that? That I forget. It was in Albany somewhere. I forget the name of the venue. I mean, we're talking about 30 years ago at this point because I am old as shit. I mean, now the first drug you ever. Oh, by the way, before I get into that, when you saw Cinderella, were you already playing guitar? Were you already a musician? I just started a couple weeks before that show, and then that completely um changed my path when i you know saw tom Kiefer playing that les paul and mm -hmm. spinning it around his body wow <laughs> and you know by the way gino did interview uh tom Kiefer with me uh not that long ago was it last i did summer, he was amazing um, such a time and he still by the way looks and sounds amazing uh tom he hasn't missed the beat so fucking good he's so talented when i, and I told this to him and when cinderella toured there was a tour i forgot the name of it but it was like the, it was like the Rock Never Stops tour. It was Cinderella and Firehouse and Slaughter and all these 80s rock guys. But when Cinderella played, all the other guys came out to watch Tom Kiefer because that's how great he was. All right, because now the first drug you ever did after pot, unless pot wasn't the first drug you ever did. Um, first drug I ever did after pot would be ecstasy. Ecstasy. And did you love it? Yeah. <laughs> Is it something you did for a while or was it a one-off thing? I did not do it for a while. Um, I did it, and it just once changed my entire mindset and existence. And um, so, yeah, then I didn't do it for a very long time. And then I did do it for a long time. Okay, fair enough. Wow. Yeah. So maybe you did have sex a lot of that, you just don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and now the first time you had sex, sir, how old were you? Imagining being how cool and rock and roll you are, you were seven, but let's hear it. <laughs> it rhymes with seven. Uh, 11? 11. Yeah. Wow. I got that first, by the way. Yeah, I, I got that I just, like 38 just doesn't rhyme with 11. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. um, so you were 11. How old was she? Uh, turned 13. 13. So legal for both of you at that point. If she, uh, if she was 17, it would be a problem. And now you went to school together? We did. Is my first girlfriend. My That's first pretty girlfriend. wild. I'm, I'm imagining you were the first guy amongst your friends to do that. Yeah. 
Did she initiate it? Would she is it? Were you both virgins? I, I think I think we both were. I would hope she was. I don't know. Um, Kids in Jersey. That's true. Yeah. Um, she, she like every other girl that I've dated. Um, I'm, you know, she was kind of the aggressor. It takes a bit to get me. Um, some, I'm really shy. Hold on a second. Take note, Shannon. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> so through all these years, I've been pretty shy about um, making first moves like that. I'm, I'm pretty reserved. But um, so she was, she was, she was on it. She knew, she knew what was going on. Literally, Gino. Yeah, she was on it, and off it, and on it. I get it. I get what I'm you're saying. Just about every day, um, still, I'm still very close with her. You talk to her every day, still? Just about, yeah. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's so nice. Look at you. You're such a tender soul. You're a nice boy. Did she write any songs about you? <laughs> all right. So first of all, as we wrap up, thank you so much, Jimmy. It's really great to have you on. Let's uh, do some plugs. The, the album, Spectacular Site, will be out at some point this year. Yes. If, um, if you're paying attention to this and listening and you and you would like to to hear it just keep an eye out because there's a good chance that we might release it to you tomorrow probably you know yeah within a few days or a few weeks should they sign up like go to go to the website is there a mailing list or it's just going to be out and that's it like you got to look for it it'll be out when it's out They probably have to look for it you know i'll send something out. i don't do a lot of social media really um but i'll, I'll do a little bit of it to um just, me- by the way, just once, I would like to be able to respond to your DMs. God only knows what's going on over there. I'll send you some of the pictures. Oh, my God. Please do. Please let's, do. Uh, let's include the other guy. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's all get included. I can't even imagine what his fucking DMs must look like. Mine is a barren wasteland of me hitting on girls and getting no response. <laughs> Mine is pictures of my cat that I keep sending to Shannon, and it's a cat. <laughs> his are exactly the opposite, just girls sending sniz shots all day long. <laughs> God damn it. To beat Gino Neko for a day. Look, look, she was sleeping on my face today. Oh, oh. <laughs> take that, Jimmy Necco. That's it. Jimmy gets different kind of pussy. I'm going to go throw myself off the fire escape. You can finish up without me, guys. <laughs> All right, so any other things you any other things you want to mention, Gina, before we do plugs around the room? No, no, no. I think, uh, by the way, I think they no, just... Jimmy, shut your mouth, Gino. Oh, I thought you said Gino. I don't know why I'm losing yeah. my mind. Gino, sorry, Jimmy, any other plugs you want to get on before we go around the room? I just um, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm really sorry that we we missed each other. You know. Oh, I don't listen. In all honesty, just so you know, it's just a fun thing to make fun of. I don't give a shit. It's great that it happened. I know? wasn't on that one. Thank God you blew him off and said I'm not doing it till I hang with that loser Ralph Sutton. If I could design how it would come about with <laughs> Lucas having you show up as a fucking surprise versus getting you three years ago, I would rather it have happened this way. Oh, what? I'm, I'm happy to have you break my balls about it. It's fun. It's, um, it's a good break from the, the normal vibe that goes around out there where people are told that they shouldn't look me in the eyes. So you break my balls all you want. Okay, fine. Don't worry. That won't be a problem. Just I will <laughs> expect access to your DMs by next week, by the way. Um, so look for the new album Spectacular site. Hopefully, just it'll find out sometime soon. I guess, you, does it go out like it'll be a, a for sale thing, not like on Spotify, right? We'll make it for sale with like a probably like a, a code that people would have to put in to get it. Okay, cool. Good enough. And Gino, your plug, sir? Are you talking to me now, tough guy? Really? <laughs> same old, same. GinoBisconti.com. You can hear me uh, four days a week on Compound Media's In Hot Water. Fair enough. Shanuni Pants? Uh, follow me on Instagram at ShannonLee6982 and listen to my podcast, The Thing Is Ding. We talk about bad dates, fighting, and ghosts. All right. Um, before I say my plugs, Jimmy, do me a favor. When I do get the DMs, don't send me Shannon Sniz. I don't want to see it. Because <laughs> uh, she's like a sister to me, so it would make me uncomfortable. Follow me everywhere at I am Ralph Sutton. Uh, thank you so much, Jimmy. We uh, will play every week. We add a song to the playlist, the com slash playlist. We're going to do kids because that's the newest one that's out right now. And that songs, are, uh, if you buy it off your website, it goes to charity. Uh, but thank you so much, dude, for taking time out on the SCR show. It was really fun. I'll send you, I'll send you a link to the, to the new record. I'll send you all the songs. Oh, fuck, I thought you were going to say the, uh, the DMs, but I'll take yes, the record. Sure. 
I'll take the record for sure. I'm looking forward to it. All right, thank you so much, man.